Bhattachu Maharaj Ki Jai. So this evening Maharaj is going to speak on the pastimes of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So we'll be going till at least 9 o'clock like that. So we'd like to thank you for coming. And uh, we'll be doing it again tomorrow evening. Uh, tomorrow evening we will begin at 6 p.m., 6 to 8 p.m. So thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Most of them know you here. Jaya Radha Madhava Kunja
which was the center of happening those days. The youth movement was developing and in America and San Francisco was the golden big part of the place where the inspired, ambitious youth started to move towards. And Srila Prabhupada established a movement in San Francisco 
1966 and then his next point was Los Angeles and eventually Los Angeles temple the temple of Rukmini Dwarka Desh became the world headquarters for Iskand Dwarka Desh that's why this temple bears a very very special significance to us Shri Prabhupada spent a lot of time here translating his books and also those days the printing mission also was centered around Los Angeles. So I am very fortunate, I feel myself to be very fortunate to be here today. The other day I was talking to Sabhas Prabhu, my very dear friend about my coming to Los Angeles and then we discussed that instead of just giving some classes it would be better to present the theme in a systematic way and that's why we thought of having a short seminar on Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's transcendental pastimes. Again, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is very, very special to us because uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu started the Yuga Dharma of this age. Different Yugas have different process of spiritual advancement. There are four Yugas, Satya Yuga, Treta Yuga, Dwapar Yuga and Kali Yuga. They move in cycle. After Satya Yuga comes Treta Yuga, after Treta Yuga comes Dwapar Yuga, then Kali Yuga. Then again it goes back. Again starts from Satya Yuga, Treta Yuga, Dwapar Yuga and Kali Yuga. Like this is how the time moves. Time moves in cycles, like after every second comes another second, after every minute comes another minute. And this way the concept of time, the duration of time becomes larger and larger. And one of the largest concepts of time actually is this cycle of four jewels. But that's not the largest, it goes on. Thousand Chatur Yugas make one day of Brahma. And in that calculation, Brahma has his weeks, months, and years, and he, the duration of his life is 100 years. So, for a universe, that is the ultimate concept of time, the lifespan of Brahma. And when Brahma leaves his body, the universe dissolves. So this is how accurate the Vedic concept of time is. Actually everything that is mentioned in the Vedas is absolutely scientific, meaning absolutely real. There is no speculation in the Vedic wisdom. Everything is absolutely accurate. So, let's go back to that time concept of Chatur Yuga, four Yugas. 
Satu Yuga, Treta Yuga, Dwapar Yuga and Kali Yuga. And different Yugas have different Yuga Dharmas. Dharma means the process for spiritual advancement or the process of becoming connected to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The way to become connected to the Supreme Personality of Godhead in Satya Yuga was through meditation. The way to become connected to the Supreme Personality of Godhead in Treta Yuga was sacrifice. In Dwapar Yuga, deity worship in the temple. And in Kali Yuga, the congregational chanting of the holy name of the Lord, Sankirtan. Krite Jadhayate Vishnu Tretayam Jagyate Makho Dwapare Paricharjayam Krite means in Satya Yoga, Dhyate Vishnu, meditating upon Vishnu who is situated in the heart. Meditation, the purpose of meditation is to perceive the Supreme Personality of Godhead at the core of our hearts. Tretayam Jagrati Makhu in Treta Yuga it was performing sacrifice for the sake of Makho or the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Dwapare Parichajayam in Dwapar Yuga it is worshipping the Lord in the temple and in Kali Yuga it is the chanting the holy name of the Lord collectively, congregationally. And in every Yuga, the Yuga Dharma is established by the Yuga Avatar, the Supreme Personality of Godhead incarnate in, the, in different Yugas and he establishes the Yuga Dharma. So, Kali Yuga, in Kali Yuga, the Yuga Dharma is established by the Supreme Personality of Godhead in his incarnation as Yuga Avatar, as Chaitanya as Krishna Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu actually comes as a devotee. In this incarnation, the Lord doesn't come as the Supreme Personality of God. In other incarnations, He reveals His identity as the Supreme Personality of God. But He doesn't do that in this particular age. He comes as a devotee. That's why it is difficult to recognize him as the Supreme Personality of Godhead because he's hiding his identity. So while we are discussing about Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we will try to understand through his pastimes how he is the Supreme Personality. He is pretending, he is acting as if he is a he is acting as if he is a he is a devotee. He is not acting as a as a as the supreme personality. So when one some, when somebody hides his identity, naturally it becomes difficult to recognize. Like 
but those who are those who are acquainted with him those who know him recognize him they can recognize him and through his activities also it becomes obvious who he actually is so Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to fulfill certain purpose. Krishna came as Sri Krishna Chaitanya. Okay, at this point let me ask you all. At this point let me ask you all. How many of you know that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna himself? Please raise your hand. Okay, so most of you are most of you know. Still we can uh, consider how he is the supreme personality of God. He came with a mission in order to establish a Yuga Dharma of chanting the holy name of the Lord. And this chanting the holy name of the Lord is the only way for spiritual advancement in this age. That has been mentioned in a, in a scriptural uh, statement in the scriptures that is Harir Nama, Harir Nama, Harir Namaiva Kevalam, Kalo Nasteva, Nasteva, Nasteva. The chanting of the holy name Harir Nama, Harir Nama, Harir Nama has been mentioned three times. Like when it is mentioned three times or when it is repeated, what does it indicate? It makes it absolutely emphatic that it is, it is. Like sometimes when you say, tell somebody not to do something, what do you do? Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Don't you say that? So similarly, the chanting of the holy name, chanting of the holy name, chanting of the holy name. Three times. And kevalam. Kevalam means only. Only. And kalo. Kalo means in the age of Kali. Nasti eva. Nasti eva. Nasti eva. Nasti eva means there is not. Na asti eva. There doesn't exist. Now this also has been mentioned three times. So it is being absolutely emphatic. Nasti eva, nasti eva, nasti eva, gotir anatha, any other way. Gati means way, process, or path. There is no other way, there is no other way, there is no other way. So what does it actually mean? It means that there are various types of, there are various processes for spiritual advancement. As I mentioned, meditation, performing of sacrifice, worshipping the deity, giving in charity, performance of austerity. These are various means for spiritual advancement. 
But in the age of Kali, in the age of Kali, besides chanting the holy name of the Lord, there is no other way. No other way. Emphatically pointed out. Which means, if anybody thinks that by any other means he is going to make spiritual advancement, he is simply wasting his time. The only way is to chant the holy name of the Lord. And in order to establish that, Krishna came as Sri Chaitanya, Krishna Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And his entire life, his entire pastimes is actually meant or designed or he enacted in such a way that it was simply to establish that point. When he appeared, he appeared at the time of lunar eclipse. Now, eclipse is an inauspicious happening. Moon brings auspiciousness. And Rahu is Divari Moon. Eclipse is actually, according to Vedic understanding, is Rahu's devouring moon causes lunar eclipse and same way Rahu's devouring sun causes solar eclipse. And his head is chopped off. So he swallows but he, it comes out. Like, uh, so that is what actually the eclipse signifies. So it's very inauspicious. Moon is being devoured by Rahu, a demon. These are all personalities. Moon is a personality. Rahu is a personality. Sun is a personality. According to the Vedic understanding, they all are different personalities. So these personalities have their specific activities. Like why moon? We can see why moon is so auspicious. Because it is due to the moon that all kinds of things, all kinds of auspiciousness is being bestowed. Sun evaporates water from ocean. And it is the effect of the moon that evaporated water becomes the cloud. And then it comes down in the form of rain. And this rain is the source of water is the source of life. If rain was not there, there wouldn't have been any vegetation. If rain was not there, we wouldn't be able to drink water. Ocean water we cannot drink. With ocean water we cannot cultivate. So this is how uh, this rain water is filling up all the water bodies and soaking the earth planet with uh, this water. And that causes the vegetations to grow. And then it is due to the influence of the moon that the vegetation grow and the vegetations 
is transformed into food grains. It is actually in, due to the influence of moon. Moon is a reservoir of nectar and all these nectar through the moonbeams are preserved in the vegetables and plants and then it comes out in the form of fruits and grain and nuts and all kinds of things. So anyway, this is just one side information. But <clears throat> this way we can see how important is the influence of moon. Therefore, if moon is being devoured, moon is being eaten up by a demon called Rahu, Okay, should I go into that? Why Rahu is eating up moon? Okay, nectar was, nectar came out, out of charming of the milk ocean. Dhanvantari came with the nectar. The demons and demigods under the direction of Krishna charmed the milk ocean jointly. The demigods, Krishna told the demigods, the devas, go and propose to the demons that jointly you will churn the milk ocean in order to get nectar. The demons although have natural animosity with the demigods, but they, but they agree. Demons have always a hidden agenda. And the hidden agenda was that, okay, jointly we will churn the milk ocean to get the nectar, but when the nectar comes out, then we will snatch it and deprived the demigods of that. And they did that. The, when the nectar came out, uh, they snatched the, the pot of nectar. And the demigods were completely baffled. They didn't know what to do. So, <clears throat> then at that time, the Lord appeared as with his Mohini Murti. More, in his most enchanting form, the Lord appeared as a woman and he was so beautiful he was so in, that all the demons got enchanted and so he said that look you uh, let me, give me the pot and I will distribute it and there is another thing like they got so enchanted by this beautiful form of the Lord and ultimately of course it's Lord Yogamaya, his illusory energy, illusory energy completely bewildered them. And he took the pot and he made them sit in two rows, demigods in one row and demons in another row. And he started to distribute, he started to serve this nectar. One of the demons, Rahu, realized what was happening. So he came and sat in the row of the demigods. He could realize that the demons are being deprived. So he sat down and when the Lord was serving the, the, the nectar to the demigods, the devtas, Rahu also got it. But sun and moon who are two eyes of the Lord, uh, considered to be two eyes of the Lord, saw that. 
but this is not the demigod, it's a demon. So <clears throat> they reported, my Lord, this is a demon. But already he got the nectar and he drank it. But before it could go below his throat, the Lord chopped off his head with his Sudarshan chakra. Therefore, this part of the of Rahu, although it was severed from his body by the nectar, by the by the chakra of the Lord, he became immortal. And he developed his animosity so much so that he just uh, was chasing moon and sun for reporting to the Lord. And occasionally uh, he eats them up. But uh, after, soon after eating, uh, he comes out of his body, his mouth. Okay. <clears throat> So that's why uh, the eclipse of sun and moon is considered to be very, very inauspicious. So in India, when there is such inauspicious happening, people chant the name of the Lord. So generally the Lord appears at an auspicious moment. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appeared in an inauspicious moment when the moon was being eclipsed by Rahu. So, why he did that? Because at that time everyone would chant the holy name of the Lord. So, in this way, while appearing, he made everybody chant the When he was a little child, children naturally cried and the mother and other ladies tried to pacify the child. But this child wouldn't just stop crying. He, nothing could stop him from crying. So one day, one lady just happened to say, Oh my Lord, in Sanskrit. Oh Hari, this child just doesn't want to stop crying. But then immediately the child stopped crying. Everybody was surprised what happened. And then they figured out, then they found out that it is because of the chanting of the name of the Lord that the child would stop crying. <coughs> so as a result of that, the child would cry and they would chant the holy name of the Lord. And when they would stop chanting, then the child would start crying again. So in this way, he made everybody chant the holy name of the Lord. So this is how uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu from it, while he, as a child, when he was a child, he made everybody chant the holy name of the Lord. And when he was about four years old, one Brahmana was invited to the, to his, to the house by his father. 
Jagannath Mishra. So this Brahmana was a wandering, he was just traveling, he used to travel from a place of pilgrimage to another. So in India, saintly people often do that. They just travel, they don't have, they don't settle at one place, they don't have any place of residence, and like they just travel from one place to another place of pilgrimage, to another place of pilgrimage. So this Brahmana came to Navati. Navadip is considered to be a very holy place. So Jagannath Mishra invited him to his house. So this is also another culture, another aspect of Vedic culture, that the saintly personalities are invited to the house with the understanding that the presence or appearance of a saintly person in the house brings auspiciousness. So this Brahmana was invited, but this Brahmana was, some of the Brahmanas were very, very uh, uh, strict about their uh, activities. Like this Brahmana would cook himself, he would not eat food cooked by anybody else, not by even other Brahmanas. He would cook the food and then he would offer it to his deity, Bal Gopal. He was a worshipper of baby Krishna, Bal Gopal. And <clears throat> so Jagannath Mishra made all the arrangements and he cooked. And when he was offering to the, to the Lord, his Boga, to the Lord, to his Bal Gopal, this little Nimai just came there and started to eat it. So the Brahman, as he opened his eyes, he saw this boy is eating the food and he, he cried out, Oh, this child has spoiled this offering. So it was Jagannath Mishra became very upset with the behavior of this little child that he is so naughty that he just ate up the food that was being offered to the Lord. So <clears throat> he was so angry that he was about to beat up Nimai, beat Nimai. So the Brahmana actually pacified him. Look, by chastising him, by beating him, what will do? He is a little child, he doesn't understand. So this is how he prevented Jagannath Mishra from chastising the mind. Jagannath Mishra appealed to him, please cook again. And the Brahmana reasoned that, look, I often don't get anything to eat. Sometimes I subsist on just some fruits and roots in whatever I get on the way in the forest in my travel. So I am used to this kind of uh, uh, fasting, so it's all right. It seems that the Lord doesn't want me to eat today. <coughs> but Jagannath Mishra insisted, please, if you remain hungry in my house, it will bring us inauspiciousness to my family. So being insisted by Jagannath Mishra, he cooked again. 
in the meantime so that nimai cannot make any uh, cannot be naughty like that again so nimai was taken out of the house to a neighbor's house but still when jagannath mishra and uh, when this brahmana was making the offering to his bal gopal again this boy came and he started to eat so the brahmana cried oh again his boy so this time jagannath mishra was extremely upset but again this brahmana and others in the family just prevented him from beating him away <laughs> like this is the thing like the lord is ch- act- acting as a child and his father is treating him just as his own son this is the arrangement of jogomaya you know, where one forgets the actual identity of the lord and behaves with him according to the arrangement that the lord's pastime demands so but again the brahmana jagannath mishra appealed the this time the brahmana was completely adamant i am confident the lord doesn't want me to eat anything tonight so but at that time chetan mahaprabhu's elder brother vishnu just came he used to stay out late till late at night in the house of advaita acharya and discuss about scriptures with other scholarly brahmanas so they used to have their uh, night evening get together where they would discuss about the spiritual topics so when vishnu came it was obviously it was quite late so uh, they were like a brahmana cooked for the second time so it was almost like midnight when vishnu came and jagannath mishra was completely reluctant i mean and the brahmana was completely reluctant to cook but when he saw vishnu he was completely awestruck seeing his beauty such a handsome person like vishnu also is an incarnation of balaram and seeing his transcendental form the brahman was completely enchanted for a, for a while he couldn't speak he just kept on looking at him and vishnu then appealed to him that please cook again because if a guest remains hungry it's so interesting to be so inauspicious for our whole family just for our sake please cook and make the offering so being requested by vishnu he again cooked this brahmana and in the meantime nimai was taken out of the house and now they don't want to take any chance he was surrounded by all the ladies and the ladies were joking with him nimai you ate the offering cooked by who knows from what class of brahmanic is in the vedic time those days even the in the brahmanical community they used to be classes 
high class brahman middle class brahman low class brahman <laughs> so and a high class brahman wouldn't have anything to do with a lower class brahman so this is how they are joking that nimai who knows what class of brahman he is and you ate his food you lost your caste <laughs> so nimai said that if a cowherd man cowherd boy eats the cooking of a brahmana that he loses caste so they couldn't understand why he was talking like that he even said that i love to eat the offerings of as a cowherd boy i love to eat the offerings of a brahmana nobody could understand but what was huh, the actual meaning of this statement Krishna is a cowherd boy. Uh, so they asked, you know, if a cowherd boy eats the cooking of a brahmana, how can he lose his caste? And anyway, and so he was surrounded by all these ladies. They're guarding him. The door was locked from outside, and Jagannath Mishra was sitting outside the door with a stick in his hand. Not, not in order to not take any chance of this naughty boy doing anything disastrous, and the brahmana cooked, and when he was making the offering, again this boy came. The brahmana was about to cry out, "Oh, he is spoiling the food again!" But this time, this little nimai. told him what kind of person you are you invite me to come you ask me to come and accept your offering and when i come and accept it you say oh he spoiled it he spoiled it and then he revealed his identity as the supreme personality of god the brahmana was fortunate to see this little boy as his worshipable Bhargopal Devi Krishna. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, because he was hiding his identity, he told him not to tell anybody about that. And don't tell anybody. Because he didn't want anyone to recognize him as the supreme personality of God. So in this way, <coughs> Nimai was performing his childhood pastimes. as a, as a child he was actually very very naughty do you want to hear about certain activities of his naughty activities <laughs> in india people generally used to the villages used to be on the bank of a river and people used to come to take bath in the river especially the holy places on the bank of the ganges they would take their noon time bath in the river and in the river there are different areas one some area is for men some area is for women so nimai would go there with his friends and now he is little little older maybe he is about 8 9 years old and he would 
take the women's clothes, actually they would go take their bath and then come out and change their clothes. So he would take the women's clothes to the men's side and bring the men's clothes to the women's side. And after taking their bath, as they would come out, they would be completely embarrassed and bewildered that the men would find that there are women's clothes there and the women would find their men's clothes. And not only that, when the brahmanas would chant half submerged in the river, they would chant the Gayatri mantra. Nimai would go in front of them and tell them that just open your eyes and see the personality you are meditating upon is standing in front of you. And they would be annoyed because at the time when you chant Gayatri you don't speak. You don't break your Gayatri. So they couldn't speak, so they would motionless, get out of here, right, waving their hands. Nimai wouldn't do that. He would take water in his mouth and splash it on them. <laughs> so this is how uh, he would break their chanting and tell him that, look, the personality of meditating on, he's standing in front of you. What's the point in me- taking the trouble of meditating on him? Just look at me. And sometimes the young girls used to, young means they would be uh, 11, 12 years old. They would worship Durga and Shiva on the bank of the Ganges with offering fruits and flowers and sweets. And the purpose of young girls worshipping Durga and Shiva is to get a good husband. So this is the custom in India, that young girls therefore worship Durga and Shiva. So Nimai would go there and tell them that, look, there is no need to make these offerings to Durga and Shiva. Give it to me. Because Durga and Shiva are my, Durga is my maidservant and Shiva is my servant. So these girls would become very upset, say, Nimai, it's it's so blasphemous what you are speaking. Don't speak like that. They said, yes, I am telling you. And give me that that offerings to me. And so then he would force that offering and they would then offer uh, then they would some of them would run away from there. So Nimai would tell them that look, if you don't offer it to me, those who are offering it to me, they'll get a very handsome husband with so many good qualities. But those who don't, they'll be, they'll get married to an old man who will have three co-wives. And so they'll become afraid and they would offer their offerings to Nimai. 
So this is how as a child Nimai would perform his naughty pastimes. The people would go and complain. The girls would go and complain to Mother Sachi. She would get very upset. Then uh, she, she would, uh, the men, elderly person, go and complain to Jagannath Mishra. So Jagannath Mishra would get very upset. And he would think that well, this boy has to be corrected and he would take a stick and though girls who were going to those people who complained to Jagannath Mishra seeing Jagannath Mishra in that angry mood they would say Jagannath Mishra don't, don't mind don't worry about that don't chastise you know after all when he does this we feel happy about it we feel very happy about it so <clears throat> in one hand they would complain but the, at the same time, they would appeal to Jagannath Mishra not to chastise Nimai. And the girls uh, would go and tell Nimai, Nimai, your father is coming to chastise you with a stick in your hand. So then Nimai would take another road, another, uh, and he would, as he would come, as if he is walking, coming back home after the school. So Jagannath Mishra would see that and she was very angry and telling that, look, why are you doing all these things? But Nimai said, what did I do? In the river bank you did so many naughty things. River bank, I'm just coming from my school. And Jagannath Mishra would see also, his hair is dry, his clothes are dusty, he has marks of ink on his hand and face. And he could make out. So Nimai would tell them, I don't know why these people complain about me. I can do anything to them. What do they have against me that they uh, behave like that? So this is how Nimai would perform his childhood pastimes. So, <clears throat> and then uh, Nimai now uh, has, is going to school. Is extremely brilliant. And those days, the schooling in India used to take place by one teacher would teach a group of students. They would be of different levels, not that huh, so many students in one class and another class the way it is now. Nimai was so brilliant that within a very short time, he actually exceeded all the other senior students and he completed his studies when he was just about 11 years old. So brilliant. And at the age of 11, he started his school. And so many students actually came to study <coughs> under his tutelage. And uh, he his, his name spread everywhere due to his scholarship. So, those days in India, uh, young boys and girls, boys and girls used to get married at a very young age. So, Nimai was already married to Lakshmi Priya, and a very, very beautiful, highly qualified, young girl. 
and, and Nimai used to teach the students. And at that time, one scholar called Keshav Kashmiri, he came from Kashmir, he traveled through north, west, south of India and he defeated all the scholars in different places. And those days, <coughs> the scholars used to establish their supremacy by defeating other scholars. And the ambition used to be to be recognized as the most uh, exalted scholar of the country. So Kesha Kashmiri's objective was that, to defeat all the scholars and come to you, uh, and then rec be recognized as the greatest scholar of India. So defeating all the scholars in different other places, he came to Navadhi. This is the last place that is there that he has to conquer. And hearing about his scholarship, all the other pundits, all the other scholars kind of were hiding, not coming out of their homes, or they left the village, left the town uh, in order to uh, avoid being defeated and embarrassed. And Keshav Kashmiri, uh, he was waiting. He was already uh, recognized for his scholarship, his, his wisdom and his scholarship spread all over. So these Brahmanas uh, were uh, uh, reluctant to come out and face him. And Keshav Kashmiri is waiting that he sent his challenge, let them come and confront him. So <coughs> Keshav Kashmiri then, uh, well, when he was waiting, one evening, he was walking by the Ganges and he saw this very handsome young man is teaching to a group of students. So being curious, he just came and he asked, so what are you teaching? I'm teaching just basic grammars. What's your name? My name is Nimai, son of Jagannath Mishra. Oh, so you are a Nimai Pandit. Uh, by the time Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's scholarship had been established in such a way that everybody used to call him Pandit or the scholar. Nimai Pandit means Nimai the great scholar. So the Brahmana told him uh, that Pandit, Kesha Kashmir. So you are the Nimai Pandit. And he said, well, I am just, you can see, I am just a young boy. And, but out of affection, people call me Pandit. But so he said, okay, I am seeing, seeing that you are very humble also. So tell me what you know. Kind of, he was challenging. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said that, look, I, I have come across such a great personality like you. So let me take advantage of my good fortune of coming across you. So I would rather like to hear something from you. 
So, what do you want to hear? Jai Shri Shri Gaunitai Ki Jai Shri Shri Rukmini Dwarka Ki Jai Shri Shri Dharanam Baladev Subhadra Maharani Shri Rakhupada Ki Gaunitai So, Keshav Kashmiri then started to recite yeah, Chetan, then Keshav Kashmiri asked, so what do you want to hear? So Nimai Pandit told him that this Ganga, can you please say something in glorification of Ganga? So Keshav Kashmiri right there composed hundred verses, one after another in glorification. He was such, a, such an exalted scholar. Actually, Keshav Kashmiri was blessed by Saraswati, the goddess of learning. And Saraswati blessed him that she would speak through him. Like Keshav Kashmiri's statements were actually Saraswati speaking. So, <clears throat> after that, Keshav Kashmiri asked him so. How did you like it? Nimai Pandit said, wonderful, very nice. Except one or two faults here and there. Keshav Kashmiri says, in my composition there is no fault. In my composition there is no fault. What do you understand about poetry? You are simply, you simply think grammar. What do you understand about so in this way, Keshav Kashmiri chastised him for some time. And then he said, so tell me, you analyze the poetry, what did you find that you are saying that it is wrong? So he repeated one verse, he composed hundred verses one after another, like it was with a flow like the way Ganga was flowing, with the kind of same speed he actually recited one after another verse. So he asked him, tell me what's the, what did you, what fault did you find? So then Nimai recited one verse from that. He was surprised that I spoke, I composed and recited these verses one after another with such speed. How could you memorize this particular one? Then the mind of Pandit Chaitanya Mahaprabhu told him that just as by the mercy, just by as whose mercy one becomes a great poet, similarly by his mercy, one can become a shruti meaning a person who remembers just by hearing once. Just by the mercy, just by whose mercy one can become a kobi ball, similarly, by his mercy one can become a shruti dhar. Kobi ball means a great poet, the best of the poets. 
And Shruti Dhar means one who can remember just by hearing once. So, and then he said that this particular verse has five qualities and five defects. And he pointed out those defects. So, most of the defects, actually, this was, this verse went like, Mahattam Gangayam Shatatam Idar, Mahattam Gangayam Shatatam Idamar Bhatimita, Vishnu Sharanapatishu Hara, Bhavani Bhartuja Vibhavati Adhuru. So he pointed out like four of them were grammatical, pure grammatical mistakes. So uh, we won't get into that because in the structure, certain, like for example, we can speak in English, in structure, the subject comes before predicate. But he pointed out that in two cases, the subject came after predicate. So these were two mistakes. Another mistake was repetition. And another mistake was uh, uh, redundancy. Right? Yeah, redund. Uh, not uh, yeah. One mistake is redundancy, and another mistake is improper application. So this improper application is, he said, he indicated Lord Shiva as Bhavani Bhartu. Bhavani Bhartu means Lord Shiva is the husband of Durga. So one name of Durga is Bhavani. So Bhavani is husband. But the name Bhavani has been derived as Bhava or Lord Shiva's wife. Bhava is the name of Lord Shiva and Bhavani means the husband or the wife of Lord Shiva. So literally that means Wife of Lord Shiva's husband. So, wife of Lord Shiva's husband. As if the wife of Lord Shiva has someone as a other as a husband. So, in this way, he pointed out uh, like uh, his uh, five defects in this country. So Kesha Kashmir was devastated. Like all throughout, he defeated all the scholars of India. And now finally he is defeated by one young boy, about hardly 14, 15 years old. So, <clears throat> so Kesha Kashmiri went home extremely heartbroken. And he was praying to Saraswati that you have to humiliate me in such a way. Like you blessed me that you would always remain in my my town. And now I have been defeated by a young boy. So Saraswati then appeared to him in a dream and told him that Keshav. Today your learning has been successful because the person who defeated you 
is none, no, none, none other than my Lord Himself, the Supreme Personality of God. So, so this is how uh, we can see that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, through his wonderful pastimes, time and time again establishing his identity indirectly. Although he is trying to hide his identity as the Supreme Personality of Prabhupada, but it is becoming revealed by his actions, by his activities, by his pastimes. In this way, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu performed his early pastimes. He stayed in his household life till 24, until he was 24 years old. Then at the age of 24 he took sannyas and after taking sannyas he went, he wanted to go to Vrindavan. There were three companions he had, Nityananda Prabhu, Chandrasekhar, Acharya, and Mukunda Dattra. And <coughs> he took sannyas in a place called Katwa, which is on the other side of the river Ganges from Navadip, a little distance from there. And he took sannyas from a very exalted spiritual personality called Keshav Bharati. And Keshav Bharati, after taking sannyas, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu wanted to go to Vrindavan. And he just ran towards Vrindavan. Nitananda, Chandrasekhar and Mukunda and also Keshav Bharati followed him. For three days and three nights, non-stop, he ran. But Nityananda Prabhu had another plan. He felt that the residents of of Navadip would be so heartbroken that all of a sudden he just left Nimai, who was like the apple of their eyes of the residents of Vrindavan. Now he is just left. So he decided, and yeah, those days when one took sannas, that means that was the end of it. Like nobody would get to see him. Like you just, those days of course communication was very, very limited. Practically people walked on feet. And they went to one from one place, especially the Sanasi would go from one place of pilgrimage to another place. And he would be lost forever. And besides that also, Sanas order, when one takes Sanas, that actually means his previous life is finished. The Sanas ceremony has one aspect, which means actually dying. He dies to take sannyas. His previous life is finished. So, Nitananda Prabhu was very concerned about the condition of the residents of Navadvi. 
who were so fond of Nimai that he decided to trick him and bring him back to Nagat. So he misdirected Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in such a way that from they traveled through north in North Bengal, northern part of Bengal for a while, and then they came back to the the other side of the Ganges, opposite to Shantipur. Shantipur is about 30 kilometers from Mayapur, Navadhi, and on uh, on the bank of the Ganges and. Adrita Charyaka who used to live in Shantipur. So, he, Nithananda Prabhu told some cowherd boys who were tending the cows, thinking that when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would come there, seeing these boys tending cows, he, his remembrance of Vrindavan would awaken and he would ask these boys whether it was Vrindavan or what is, what is this place. So he he told these boys to tell, when this person comes, to tell them that this is Vrindavan. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, seeing these cowherd boys, so many cows, and these cowherd boys were tending the cows, so he asked these boys, that very affectionately, he asked, what is this place? And this is this is Vrindavan being taught by Nityananda. So he asked uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu asked Nityananda, Nityananda, we came to Vrindavan. Nityananda said, yes. And is this Jamuna pointing to Ganga? Yes, this is Jamuna. So in ecstasy, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu just jumped into the river. And then he saw Advaita Acharya coming in a boat. So he asked Advaita, you are here, how did you come here? He said, yeah, Nithanat actually sent a message that you are coming, so I just came here to receive you. Then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu realized that Nithanat tricked him and brought him to Ambika Kalna, which is the other side of the Shanti. He was very, very upset. And he said, I took sannas and after sannas I just wanted to go to Vrindavan and you misled me and brought me to Shantipur. And you made this arrangement that Advaita Acharya would come and receive me here. So Gitana Prabhu said, No, I'm, I didn't lie. Whatever I said is the truth and nothing but the truth. Because wherever you are, that is Ganga. And Ganga, after marching, Ganga and Jamuna, in the confluence, in Prayag, Jamuna is flowing on the left-hand side, and Ganga is flowing on the right-hand side. So this is, since this is the left-hand side of the bank, it is Jamuna that is flowing here. So there is nothing wrong in sticking so then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had to go to Shantipur to Advaita Acharya's house and 
Uh, there's a beautiful description of how Advaita Acharya treated Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Nityananda Prabhu. He made so many different preparations. For three days, three nights, they didn't eat anything. And they were just running and running. And <coughs> Nitana, uh, Advaita Acharya made a beautiful feast. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's response was that, that how can anybody eat so much? I'm a sannasi. I should learn to control my tongue. And you want to feed me like a king. Then Acharya's response was that I know in Jagannath Puri you eat 56 times. <laughs> and here this is nothing compared to that. And Nitanda Prabhu's reaction was different. He said, look, for three days I didn't get anything to eat and this is what you're offering me. <laughs> so Adhikacharya's response, Adhikacharya and Nitanda Prabhu had a very sweet r- relationship and they used to have a beautiful loving exchange. So then Adhikacharya said, look, thank your lucky stars that you got this offering. We know that Often you just subsist on just some roots and fruits. Uh, after all, you are just an abadhut who doesn't have any external consciousness. So in this way, they had uh, their uh, beautiful loving exchange. Nitananda Prabhu already made arrangements to inform the residents of Navadhi to come and meet the Chaitanya. It has been said, it has been described that so many people came to see Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that the whole place was packed with thousands upon thousands of people. In order to, in, with the eagerness to see Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they broke the wall. <laughs> and then Sachimata also came. The only person who didn't come was Vishnu Priya Devi, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's eternal consort. Because uh, when one takes a nurse, he doesn't see his wife again. So <clears throat> that's why Vishnu Priya Devi didn't come. Seeing Sachimata, uh, like Sachimata was so old at that time. Like this is a wonderful kind of uh, incident or instruction that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu established, that he left home, he took sannas, leaving his old mother and young wife at home. And there was no male member in the family. He was the only male member in the family to take care of them. And in that respect, the Prabhupada said that when one uh, does something, when one leaves everything, his family, everything, he doesn't have to worry about them. Because when one leaves or leaves home for serving Krishna, in order to serve Krishna, 
Krishna will take care of his family members. In order to establish that point, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took Sannath in that way, leaving his old mother and young wife at home. So this is how Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu left home and took Sannath. Sachi Mata was a fairly more, very kind of emotional naturally. She was crying, seeing him in that condition. Like his form also changed. He had beautiful white hair, beautiful black hair. And now his head had been shaved off, shaved off after some months. There's another description, like how pathetic that sight was. Like seeing that this handsome young man is going to take Sanna, like everyone was crying. <coughs> the barber, <coughs> Madhu Napit, Madhu Barber, who was assigned to shave Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's hair, in so water to soak his hair, he soaked his head with his tears. With his tears, he soaked. And then he shaved his head. And then he threw away his razor and said, I'm not going to shave Sachimata, seeing Sachimata, his mother, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu responded, My mother, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have taken sannyas leaving you like this. Anyway, I'll give up, I'll give up my sannyas. I would rather stay with you and serve you. Now Sachimata is an ideal mother. She responded. Since you have accepted sannas, don't give it up. Because giving up sannas is the worst possible thing that can happen to somebody. So don't give up your sannas. But stay close by so that I can get your, get information about you. I can get to hear how you are. And that is why Chaitanya Mahaprabhu decided to stay in Jagannath Puri. Because from Bengal, people used to go, to pilgrims used to go to Jagannath Puri to have darshan of Lord Jagannath. And from Jagannath Puri, people used to come to Bengal to take part in so through them they will get the information about it. So in this way Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then after Shantipur, staying there for three days, he left and he went to Puri. When he was near Jagannath Puri, about 18 miles away. He went to take bath in a river. And he gave his sannas danda, like sannas is carry a danda, like that is a sign of sannas So he gave the sannas to Mukunda to hold when he went to take bath. Nitananda Prabhu, yeah, okay, the 
significance of this danda danda the word danda has two meanings danda means stick and danda also means punishment one voluntarily by right, takes this punishment by taking sannyas the voluntary punishment of rejecting krishna or being averse to krishna it is a crime it is an offense and that he is punished by rejecting everything material for committing that offense so that is the significance of this danda and that's where sannyasi carries So when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was taking his bath, Nityananda Prabhu took the stick, and he had a he had a beautiful conversation, very meaningful conversation with that Mr. Danda. He said, "Who do you think you are? The Lord of the universe is going to carry you. I can't tolerate that." Saying that, he broke the danda and threw it in the river. So in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, after taking his bath, he came and asked for his danda, and Mukunda said, "Nitananda broke it and threw it in the river." So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was extremely upset. He said, "This was my only possession, and you have taken it away and threw it away and threw it into the river. I don't want to be with you. Like, do you think my sannyas?" Is a joke or what? I wanted to go to Vrindavan, and you misdirected me and brought me to Shantipur, and now you broke my sannyas danda and threw it away. The saying that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu just ran towards Jagannath Temple. When he arrived in Jagannath Temple, it was he was alone, and others were following, but he ran so fast that he went there much before. They could arrive. When he went to Jagannath Temple, seeing Lord Jagannath, he fainted. This form of Lord Jagannath is actually very special. A devotee knows that in this form, the Lord has extended his arms to embrace his devotee. And the devotees want to be with the Lord, but in this form. The Lord is hankering to be with His devotee. He is yearning to be with His devotee. So that's why this form is very, very special. And seeing that Shri Tanana proceeding the form of Lord Jagannath, and also behind this form there is a whole lot of uh, pastimes. So I don't want to get into that. But Tanana proceeding Shri Tanana proceeding fainted, and. Seeing that the the guards of Jagannath Temple, they because they can't control the crowd and things, so they have sticks in their hands. So they consider that this is a disturbance. Some madman came making some disturbance. So they were about to hit him. So at that time, Sadhu Bhattacharya, the a great scholar. Who was also from Navadvip, but he was the court pundit, Shabha pundit, 
of the king's court in Odisha. So, so he was there. He was also one of the greatest exponent of Vedanta philosophy at that time. So Sarva Bhattacharya saw this young boy, young man, so he stopped those Parichat, the, the gods. And, and he saw that this boy fainted, but this fainting is actually his ecstatic symptom. Out of intense devotion to the Lord, one actually experiences ecstasy, and that ecstasy is manifest through the body in eight, through eight different symptoms, like tears flowing from the eyes, hair standing on end, trembling, and ultimately fainting. So he could recognize that this fainting is the highest ecstatic symptom, which is not otherwise not manifest. Only with some very, very exalted devotees this symptom is manifest. So uh, Shagam Bhattacharya knew that from his studies of the scriptures, but he never seen anybody. So he could recognize that this person must be a very, very exalted spiritual personality. Jai Shri Jai Shri Shri Rukmini Dwarkati Shri Jai Shri Shri Jagannath Parvati So in this way, Sarvam Bhattacharya got his men to carry Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who was who fainted to his house. So, okay, so this is how Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu arrived in Jagannath Puri after taking Sannas. So I'll stop now. But if you have any questions, please feel free to ask. Yes? Why is it that for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is a good avatar, is a hidden incarnation? Why is it why is it that Hmm. There are many reasons. One of the main reasons is like Krishna performs his pastimes in Dwapar Juga, end of Dwapar Juga. And in order to make people recognize Krishna's position as the supreme personality of God, not as an incarnation, but the source of all incarnations. Krishna comes again in the age of Kali to make people recognize who Krishna is and his special significance of his activities and pastimes in Vrindavan. Actually, this has been explained that in two ways. There is an external reason and internal reason. So the external reason is this. 
in order to make everyone recognize Krishna as the source of all incarnation. Krishna, Ete Chamsha Kalapunsha Krishna Su Bhagavan Are you familiar with this verse? Yeah. In Bhagavatam, different incarnations have been described, 22 different incarnations. And then it has been pointed out that all these are parts and parts of the parts of the Lord. And there are innumerable incarnations. But Krishna is the original Supreme Personality of Godhead, from whom uh, all these incarnations manifest. He expands. Original Personality of Godhead is Krishna in Vrindavan. His first expansion is Balaram. Then, uh, the quadruple incarnation of Dwarka, Vasudev, Shankarshan, Prajuna, Aniruddha. Then, the Narayans of Vaikuntha. Then, Narayans of Vaikuntha also have a Chaturguha, Vasudev, Shankarshan, Prajuna, Aniruddha. From this Shankarshan expands Karuna Dukshay Vishnu, Mahavishnu, then Garbha Dukshay Vishnu, then Shri Dukshay But Krishna's true Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna is the Swayam Bhagavan, original Supreme Personality, who lives, who resides in Vrindavan, Sadhama Vrindavan, Aradha Bhagavan, Brajeshotama. The Supreme Worshipable Personality of Godhead is the son of Nanda Maharaj. Right? Krishna is the son of Nanda Maharaj. And his abode is Vrindavan. So in order to make everybody understand that, Krishna came as a devotee. You get the point? I mean, as a devotee he came to point out who this Krishna of Vrindavan is. Okay, this is the external reason. The internal reason is, after performing his pastimes in Vrindavan, Krishna considered that how great is Radharani's love for him? Sri Radhaya Pranaya Mohima Kidrisha. Pranaya Mohima, the glory of Radharani's love. Krishna wanted to understand that. What is there in him that attracts Radharani so much? So, and by loving me, what kind of joy Radharani derives to understand these three things the greatness of Radharani's love what is there in me that attracts Radharani in this way and by loving me what kind of joy Radharani experiences in order to understand that Krishna came as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, assuming the mood of Srimati In order to understand this, although Krishna is omniscient, but these three things he couldn't understand himself. In order to understand these three things, he had to become Radharani. He had to stand in Radharani's position, become a devotee that Radharani is, assuming that mood Krishna came. 
So this is the internal wife of Chaitanya, Krishna King, and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as a devotee, not as a supreme personality of Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Maharaj. Um, in Srimad Bhagavatam, 8th Canto, Chapter 3, Text 17, in the Purport, Prabhupada says that his only aim is to try to get us back to Godhead. Uh, even before we offer our prayers, he's trying to deliver us. He's incessantly trying to deliver us. And then, actually, in the translation and in the Purport, it says that Krishna is unlimitedly merciful. Yeah. Yet, we hear that Lord Chaitanya is the most merciful and magnanimous incarnation. So my question is, how can you be more merciful than unlimited merciful? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, in the transcendental con- context, you know, that happens. Like, Krishna is most munificent. But when he comes as a devotee, he becomes even more magnanimous. And then his devotee becomes even more magnanimous. Like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is merciful, but Nithyananda Prabhu is even more merciful. Huh? And then Prabhupada is even more merciful. Like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Nithyananda Prabhu distributed Krishna consciousness only throughout India. But Prabhupada, their devotee, came out of India to distribute this mercy all over the world. So in the transcendental context, you know, it keeps on improving. There is no end to it. <laughs> it keeps on increasing. Yes. Yeah, this beautiful description, Maharaj, that you gave about Keshava Kashmir in Lord Chaitanya's exchange, we see that Keshava, uh, Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is so kind, merciful, and very elegant and befitting him yeah. without feeling, making people <coughs> feel uncomfortable, which is very difficult to see in nowadays, in the present age. Uh, I mean, in all the times and the conditions go. Because everybody derives pleasure, sense gratification, and defeating. Yeah. So my question is, do you have any experience uh, being close to Prabhupada in which he displayed that detachment and compassion in Europe? You know, when there's in presenting Krishna consciousness and not being too, you say that... Uh, yeah, very nice point. Oh, the question, yeah. The question is that we see that although Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would defeat Keshav Kashmiri, but he did not make humiliation. Uh, he was kind of, you know, he pacified him as if, uh, like, uh, don't worry about it. And that's the kind of, but in our day-to-day dealings, I mean, normally we see that people derive some pleasure in defeating and smashing somebody. So why is that? My answer, simple answer to that will be that's the difference between material platform and spiritual platform. You see, in material platform people derive joy by humiliating others or defeating others. And this way he feels elevated. He feels exalted. But in the spiritual platform, one acts in a totally different way. In spiritual platform, one doesn't want to elevate himself. He wants to humble himself. He wants to make himself smaller. And uh, as you asked, you know, like, 
you know, whether we see that in Srila Prabhupada's dealing, yes, time and time again we saw that. Especially when Prabhupada was dealing with his god brothers. You see, as a guru, with his disciples he had to assume the role of a guru. Heavy, right? Blasting and chastising. Now, that is his role as a guru. But when he is dealing with his god brothers, Prabhupada teaches Like, see, <clears throat> when Prabhupada you know, took sannas. Uh, when, uh, first of all, when Prabhupada left home, he was serving his godbrothers. Although, you know, you can see, Prabhupada was such a great scholar. You know, he was such a prolific writer, uh, such an eloquent orator, you know. But he took a humble position, he was serving his godbrothers who were probably, you know, I mean, nowhere near him. Then, after he took sannas, even then he was serving his godbrothers. You know, when Prabhupada left his godbrothers ashram, he was, he was, he went to Agra, therefore Prabhupada was in Mathura. They went to Agra for preaching. And somebody wanted to take initiation from Srila Prabhupada. So when this person expressed his desire to take initiation from Srila Prabhupada, Prabhupada's reaction was okay, I'll give you. But the disciple of his god brother interjected and said, No, only Guru Maharaj gives initiation. Prabhupada got the message, next morning Prabhupada left. When his godbrother got to know about it, he was very upset with it. Anyway, so this is another instance. Another instance, when Prabhupada came to America, he came single-handedly, he was struggling to establish the movement, you know, and he got an opportunity to buy a, buy a building in Manhattan. He wrote to his godfather that please come. Guru Maharaj wanted to preach together. He always wanted to spread Mahaprabhu's mission in the world. So now we are getting some opportunity. You please come. Prabhupada invited them to come and take the lead. And he would have been happy to serve him there under him. Only when they did not respond, then only Prabhupada established his own institution, his and started the teaching. So this is how we see Prabhupada always took the humble position. And even we saw when his godfathers would come, glorify him, you know, Prabhupada would just you know, take a humble position and tell them that he, it is Guru Maharaj's mercy. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. I don't know how you say uh, in the very beginning of the class that um, it's not as a person. Yeah. Okay, so my question is then, um, in what sense, in other words, is the 
the dominating deity is his relationship to the planet like the king's relationship is to his kingdom, or is there some sense in which the actual planet is something to do with the body? Okay, good, good point. You know, when you're describing Bhagavad it sounded like there was something to the body, but the planet was actually something to do with the body of the dominating deity. Yeah. How is your preference Yeah. The thing is, you know, it is a perception. The distance from the distance about the perception. Like Chaitanya Charitamrita is actually making that point. Just as we see the sun planet as the globe, a fiery globe. But the demigods see him as a person. Like Prabhupada also gives a similar exa- example, similar kind of example about Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavaniti Shabdati. Like when you see a train coming from a distance at night, what do we see? We see the light. When it comes closer, we get to see the train. When it stands on the platform, then we see the compartments and people inside. Right? So similarly, it is a matter of perception. When you look at it from a distance, you know, from a, a distant perception, he, these planets are appearing to be luminaries. Right? But when you get closer, then you will see the personalities who are predominating the planet. And the planets are not empty. The planets are full with the residents of those planets. But all the planets have a presiding personality. It's like a kingdom. It's their kingdom. Yeah. The different planets are their kingdoms. Like Brihaspati, Jupiter is the planet of Brihaspati, the guru of the demigods. Similarly, Venus, Sukra, is the planet of the guru of the demons, Shukracharya. Similarly, moon is the planet of Sunday. Sun is the planet of Vivasha. I mean, they are the presiding personality. Thank you. Yes? Yeah, because we got Prabhupada. <laughs> Unfortunately, those days they didn't have Prabhupada around. <laughs> like, because of Srila Prabhupada, we got to know that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna. That reminds me one thing, you know, like, I just noticed one thing. Like, when I was narrating that Mahaprabhu's pastimes with the girls, young girls, and telling that. Durga is his maid servant and Shiva is his servant. 
some people just walked out. <laughs> Did you notice that? <laughs> Probably they couldn't, they couldn't guide this direction. That's the problem, you know, like, you know, like, uh, <clears throat> during Krishna's time also happened with him. You know, Jarasandha, Shishupal, Durjadhan, they couldn't accept that Krishna is a Supreme Personality. They got upset if people said that, like in Yudhishthira Maharaj's Rajasriya Jagya, when the greatest honor was offered to him, Shishupal was so upset that he started to blaspheme him in public. Now how come offering this respect to this person, there are so many other exalted personalities here. So, and that is why we need to listen from a self-realized soul. This is not what our statement, it is coming from Chaitanya Charitamrita. It's coming from Chaitanya Bhagavata. And this has been accepted by all the exalted spiritual leaders of the all time. So, you know, this is the problem, you know, they get stuck with their own limited understanding and they can't accept anything beyond that. If you present it, they think this is blasphemy. Anyway, I'll be more careful in presenting these pastimes in, <laughs> in a sensitive audience. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah. Hare Krishna. Yes. Hare Krishna. Thank you for the class. So I have a question. When we see planets like Moon, through telescope, I happened to see like a month back. So I saw that the Moon looks like filled with craters, and it looks like a place. It's like a barren land. But we read, we hear that Moon is also a place where there's a lot of denizens, a lot of varieties. Because I'm an engineer myself, I hear of scientists trying to send spaceships, probes to see other planets and they find different things. They don't find what we hear from the scriptures. So it kind of bewilders me sometimes that that we we have trust in scriptures that they are right, but uh, when we hear of what scientists are trying to do, that what they are trying to find that there is no nothing, there is no variety there that they are able to find. So this kind of good sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You know, when the whole world was bouncing with the moon landing, Prabhupada was in London. And Prabhupada and there was a TV, they were showing all that. And all the devotees were gathering there just watching. Prabhupada just responded, they didn't go to moon, they can't go to moon. And this was such a shocking statement that even some devotees couldn't stomach that and they left the movement. You know, but today, you know, through a Gallup poll, it has come out, I think that was about 15 years back. I don't know a Gallup poll record. More than 30% of Americans don't believe that they went to moon. At that time, it was such a sensation that people are thinking of buying land in moon and, you know, settling down there. What happened? Now, moon is not good enough. Go to Mars. 
Mars. Mars is not good enough to go to Venus. You know, like, you know, like astrophysics. So, so that is our response. And the thing is that apparently, besides that, you know, like, you know, is it believable that all these planets are all empty? Only Earth planet is the only place where there is life and living entity. Just consider one example. When you look at the ocean, what does it look like? empty space. But when you go into the depth of the water, then what do you see? So many varieties of life. So show me one space that is empty. At least in this planet, show me one space that is empty, devoid of living entities. So why the creator would create something, that's their problem. They don't believe that there was a creator. Their consideration is that everything just happened by chance. And the whole thing is based on their speculation. But if we consider that there is a creator, then why should we create something without any purpose? Does the government build buildings just to keep them standing there? Or they do it with a purpose? To fill them in. So that is how we have to look at things, you know. We may not be able to see it, but they are living entities. And who should we believe more? Our eyes or the scriptures? That is the choice that we have to make. Are you going to limit our <coughs> perception only through our, you know, sight? Or there is something beyond that? Therefore, the intelligent way of looking at things is through the eyes of the scriptures. Okay, <laughs> thank you. So, <laughs> yes, please. Um, <coughs> Marge, uh, you would know this better than me, of course. Uh, oh, please. I get the impression that Bhagavad Gita is a very common scripture within India, uh, perhaps the most prominent. So, in the Bhagavad Gita, clearly, in at least two places that I can think of right off the top of my head, Krishna discourages, almost really condemns demigod worship. In the seventh chapter he says, uh, that whatever benefits are bestowed by the demigod, they have to get, you know, are actually bestowed by him alone. Then in the ninth chapter he says, it's actually not going by pay. So, how do the people engage in demigod worship? Here's the Bhagavad Gita, it's the prominent Christians clearly saying, don't do it. Okay, first of all, most of them don't read Bhagavad Gita, right? And then those who read them, they read with the wrong interpretations, right? And as a result of that, you know, they're totally different. Therefore, I mean, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll admit that I used to read Bhagavad Gita and I used to think that, oh, I'm understanding so much. 
But it's only when I came across your talk as Bhagavad Gita as it is, I realized that I don't understand anything. I don't understand anything. Whereas Prabhupada gave the perfect understanding right at the beginning. That in order to understand Bhagavad Gita, you have to submit yourself to Krishna. Recognize that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then with Bhagavad Gita is that light. Everything will be crystal clear. But unfortunately those people can't do that. And that's why they're completely bewildered. And then there are, you know, all kinds of people, unscrupulous individuals, who take the text of Bhagavad Gita but give their own inter- stupid interpretation. I mean, anyway, so what to do? At least we are we know that we are fortunate that we got the perfect understanding due to Śrīla Prabhupāda's mercy. And that is our greatest good fortune. Okay, so I'll stop now. <laughs> Thank you all very much. All glories to Śrīla Prabhupāda. Hare Krishna.